by Nay Jay. They say the grass is greener on the other side. To express that green envy is simply illusory, a silent cacophony of, covet of covetousness. They preach sermons of contentment and thankfulness, making hard to distinguish between this and complacency or apathy. They tell us to happily skip along. Nothing is wrong. But what if the grass is greener on the other side? Crossing a certain city line, the trees are bare, the grass is brown. When did our urban centers become dead towns? But full of life, black and brown people, full of party stores that lack the greenness of life, the freshness of produce. But at least we have liquor to numb our senses, dull our sight. Is that what is making us colorblind? Why can't we see that the black and white sides correlate with the brown and green divide? This poem is about my community, my country. Let us be good stewards of the earth we inherited. All of us have to share the earth's fragile ecosystems and precious resources. And each of us has a role to play in preserving them. If we are to go on living together on this earth, we must all be responsible for it. Kofi Annan. Please join in our opening song. The words will be projected on the screen. Washington Ethical Society. 
I am Erica Pfeiffer, my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so that we can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. We love talking about why this community is so important to us, and we'd like to hear from you what you're looking for. We hope you'll join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and the social hall. Also, please consider sharing your email with us on the gold sheet found in your program. You can drop that sheet in the collection basket as it passes later in the platform service. I want to remind you to please silence your electronic devices so that you can be fully present this morning, although we'd love it if you could check in on social media. I now invite Carl and Caleb to read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. Today is our Earth Day 2019 platform, so the statement of purpose and the candle lighting will be done by our West Teens and Seek program. The, Wa the Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other without, throughout life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults We work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Carl and Caleb light our community candle. I invite you all to join me in the candlelighting words. May we kindle within us the warm word of passion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of the thousands of people who are impacted by environmental waste and environmental racism and segregation. We are mindful of the people who have lost their lives due to the exploitation of this planet. Today, we are mindful of the animals who have been pushed to extinction due to the harmful ways that we engage with this planet. Today, we are mindful of the kindred living in the city and cities around the planet who are living at the margins of society, desperately hoping that those of us with abundance will be better stewards of this planet. Today we are mindful of being a people of seven generations. The seventh generation principle is based on an ancient Iroquois philosophy that the decisions that we make today should result in a sustainable world seven generations into the future. As we listen to this chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love.
I invite you now into a time of meditation. From Thich Nhat Hanh, the great teacher in the Vietnamese Buddhist tradition who died earlier this year. Dear Mother, there are those of us who walk on earth but still wish to seek a promised land elsewhere, not knowing that you are the wondrous pure land present in this moment. They are not able to see that the kingdom of heaven exists in their own hearts. They are not able to see that if their minds are calm and peaceful, then the very ground they are walking on becomes a pure land. We are able to play and enjoy this pure land day and night thanks to that insight, thanks to the practice of dwelling peacefully with mindfulness in the here and now. We have the kingdom here and are no longer searching for it elsewhere.
I now invite Rich Reese from the Earth Ethics Action Team to the platform. Hola, yo soy un ambientista. Um, I'm relearning Spanish after over 60 years. I'm, uh, and that means I am an environmentalist. I'm also delighted and awed to be on the same program as these wonderful students. They are the ones who could experience a cleaner and sustainable future, or not. However, current generations bear all the responsibility for that future. In my 40 years at WES, sort of shows the contrast. I'm sort of like the older generations, and they're the younger. Um, I focused on our beloved Earth Ethics Committee, now the Earth Ethics Action Team. My other focus has been the West Building itself. As you know, we've got a problem, global climate change. Can we safely ignore it for a while? No. According to the Capital Gazette, um, Annapolis experienced 63 days of flooding in 2017, and it's very likely to get much worse. Ducks frequently swim on Dock Street there. Here's a picture of it. I don't know if you can see it, but there are ducks on Dock Street. Uh, and it's already much worse in Africa with record typhoon ID uh, in the Midwest with record flooding and on our West Coast with record droughts and forest fires. In a recent TED talk, climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe related that after a college lecture on climate, she asked for questions. One student raised his hand and asked, you're a Democrat, aren't you? That's an all too common view. It shows how much the environment has become polarized. It hasn't always been that way. The EPA was founded under President Nixon. Many think we can or should postpone action because true climate solutions are too costly and that further research will bring forth new technologies which will fully address the looming challenge of climate change. Would you believe that the economics of Current wind, solar, energy efficiency, and energy storage technologies are less expensive than the old ways. For example, the LED lights in this room produce more light than the conventional lamps they replaced, but use far less energy and last far longer. Even better, most are off as we benefit from ample daylight. A bigger example is Excel Energy, a major supplier of electricity in the Midwest. They have promised to become 80% carbon neutral within 15 years, partly by eliminating their 13 coal-fired power plants. They are doing this because it makes business sense. Forbes magazine, not a bastion of liberal thinking, headlined last December, plunging prices mean building new renewable energy is cheaper than running existing coal. The article states that 42% of global coal capacity is currently unprofitable. The costs of solar and wind generated electricity have fallen 88% and 69% respectively, while coal-generated electricity has become more expensive. The National Renewable Energy Laboratory forecasts that solar and wind will decline even further without technological breakthroughs, although history shows that technologies do advance. 
unless politicians impede progress. You may ask, what happens when the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine? That's what, where the new dynamic grid comes in, employing energy storage efficiency and dynamic demand management to keep electricity supply and load balanced at all times. Coal would be even more unprofitable if companies that run generating plants had to pay for the harm that burning coal does to the global climate and public health. For example, asthma is caused and exacerbated by coal-caused pollution. A few weeks ago, I testified with others, including a five-year-old girl, against an EPA plan to allow coal plants to emit more mercury. This is despite the fact that EPA scientists reported in the American Journal of Public Health that minority and poorer communities are disproportionately harmed by air pollution. I have only touched on the electric sector. Transportation, homes, and other buildings also emit lots of climate and health-harming pollution. Here, too, there are cost-effective ways to mitigate that pollution. As an engineer, I have certified a synagogue and a church as Energy Star congregations. Although West has a solar facility and we've converted West to all LED lighting, we still have a ways to go to achieve Energy Star. But the Earth Ethics Action Team, Building Team, and West staff are working on it. I hope you share the ways you personally work toward a cleaner and sustainable world during the talk back and during the coffee hour. The West Earth Ethics Action Team welcomes your help in achieving Energy Star for West and for our other projects and for realizing what you think might be helpful. Thank you for your attention. Now, imagine a cleaner, sustainable, and healthier future. It's within reach. Let's get to work to realize it. Next speaker. Um, I invite Abby Oswald, a member of our teen group, to present her recent experiences. Last Sunday, I went with the SEEK group and the Earth Eth Ethics Action Team to help clean up the creek. The experience was very eye-opening to me because of the amount of garbage that we recovered. While we were able to get more than four large bags of trash from the creek and recycling, uh, there was still more when we left, and every day more litter accumulates. I think that in order to make a real change in the environment, we should do cleanups more frequently, because that was it was fun, but we need to do it more often. I also know that there are growing social media movements that encourage eco-friendly behavior. For example, there's a subreddit card called r dtrash with about 65,000 members in it. On this subreddit, people post their photos of their cleanups around their homes and in their communities worldwide. These kinds of movements online help to inspire others to take action in their own communities to help the environment. West could get involved with these online movements, like dtrashed, to help further increase the awareness about the environment. We could help to make more people more aware of the costs of small choices, like using plastic straws, plastic bags, and non-renewable sources of energy. I now invite Jason Beal, our SEEK program assistant, to the stage.
Hi, everyone. Um, I'm here to introduce a uh, uh, TED Talk for today by um, Van Jones, who is a TV commentator, but also a longtime environmental activist. Um, and I really appreciate this. I've showed this with high school students before in schools, um, and it's really resonated with me uh, in terms of how intersectional it is on social justice issues impacting the environment. So I hope that this um, speaks to you in a way that it has for me. I am honored to be here, and I'm honored to talk about this topic, which I think is of, of grave importance. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the uh, horrific impacts of uh, plastic on the planet and on other species, uh, but plastic uh, hurts people too, especially poor people. Uh, and both in the production of plastic, the use of plastic, and the disposal of plastic, the people who have the bullseye on their foreheads are poor people. Uh, we've, we, we, uh, people got very upset uh, when the BP oil spill happened, uh, for very good reason. Uh, people thought about, oh my God, this is terrible, this oil, it's, it's, it's in the water, uh, it's gonna destroy uh, uh, the, uh, the, the living systems there, uh, people are gonna be hurt, uh, this is a terrible thing, that this oil is gonna hurt the people in the Gulf. Uh, what people don't think about is, what if the oil had made it safely to shore? What if the oil had actually got where it was trying to go? Uh, not only would it have been uh, burned in, in engines and added to global warming, but there's a place called Cancer Alley. And the reason it's called Cancer Alley is because the petrochemical industry takes that oil and turns it into plastic, and in the process, kills people. Uh, it shortens the lives of the people who live there in the Gulf. So oil and petrochemicals are not just a problem when there's a spill, there's a problem when, there, when there's not. And what we don't often appreciate is the price that poor people pay for us to have these disposable products. The other thing we often don't appreciate is it's not just at the point of production that poor people suffer. Uh, poor people also suffer uh, at the point of use. Uh, those of us who are in a certain income level, we have something called choice. Uh, the, re the reason you want to work hard and have a job and not be poor and broke is so you can have choices, economic choices. We actually get a chance to choose not to use uh, uh, products that have dangerous, poisonous plastic in them other people who are poor don't have those choices. So low-income people often are the ones who are buying the products that uh, have those dangerous chemicals in them, that their children are using. Uh, those are the people who wind up actually ingesting a, a disproportionate amount of this uh, poisonous plastic and using it. People say, well, they should just you know, uh, uh, buy a different product. Well, the, part, the, the problem with being poor is you don't have those choices. You often have to buy the cheapest products. The cheapest pro products are often the most dangerous. And if that weren't bad enough, if it wasn't just the production of plastic uh, that's giving people cancer in places like Cancer Alley and shortening lives and uh, hurting poor kids at the point of use, at the point of disposal, once again, it's poor people who bear the burden. Often, you know, we think we're doing a good thing. You know, you're in your office and you're drinking your, 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 your bottled water or whatever it is and you think to yourself, hey, I'm going to throw this away. No, I'm going to be virtuous. I'm going to put it in the blue bin, you know? He's like, I put mine in the blue bin. And then you, you know, mm. and then you, you look at your, your colleague, you say, oh, you cretin, you know? You put yours in the white bin, you know? And, you know, we feel so, so moral tickle, you know? We feel so good about ourselves. But if we, oh, well, maybe, okay, I'm speaking for myself. Not you, but I feel this way often. And, you know, so we kind of have this kind of moral feel-good moment. Uh, but if we were to be able to follow that little bottle on its journey, 
we would be shocked to discover that all too often that bottle is going to be put on a boat. Uh, it's going to go all the way across the ocean uh, at some expense, and it's going to wind up in a developing country, often China. I think in our minds, we imagine somebody's going to take the little bottle and say, oh, little bottle, you know, we're so happy to see you, little bottle. You've, you've served so well, you know. You give a little bottle massage, you know, a little bottle medal, you know. And say, well, what would you like to do next, you know? And the little bottle's like, I just don't know. But, but that's not actually what happens. Uh, you know, uh, that bottle uh, winds up getting burned. Uh, re re recycling of plastic in many developing countries is, means the incineration of the plastic, the burning of the plastic, which releases incredible toxic chemicals and once again kills people. And so uh, poor people who are making these products in petrochemical centers like uh, Cancer Alley, poor people who are consuming these products disproportionately, and then poor people who even at the, at the tail end of the recycling uh, are, are having their lives shortened are all uh, being harmed greatly by this uh, uh, addiction that we have to disposability. Now, you think to yourself, well, I know how you are. You say, that sure is terrible for those poor people. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's just awful, those, those, those poor people. I, I hope someone does something to help them. Uh, but what we don't understand is, here we are in Los Angeles. We've worked very hard to get the smog reduction happening here in Los Angeles. But guess what? Because they're doing so much dirty production in Asia now, because the environmental laws are, don't protect the people in Asia now, almost all of the clean air gains and the toxic air gains that we've achieved here in California have been wiped out by dirty air coming over from Asia. Okay? So we all are being hit. We all are being impacted. It's just the poor people hit, get it first and worst. But uh, the dirty production, the burning of, of toxins, the, 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 the lack of environmental standards in Asia is actually creating so much dirty uh, air pollution, it's coming across the ocean and has erased our gains here in California. We're back where we were in the 1970s. And so we're on one planet, uh, and we have to be able to get to the root of these problems. Well, the root of this problem, in my view, is the idea of disposability itself. You see, if you understand the link between the, what we're doing to poison and pollute the planet and what we're doing to, to poor people, you, you arrive at a very troubling but also very helpful insight. In order to trash the planet, you have to trash people. But if you create a world where you don't trash people, you can't trash the planet. So it's really uh, now we are at a moment where the coming together of social justice as an idea and the ecology as an idea uh, we, we finally can now see that they are really, in the end, end of the day, one idea. And it's the idea that we don't have disposable anything. We don't have disposable uh, resources. We don't have disposable uh, species. And we don't have disposable people either. Uh, we, don't, we, we don't have a throwaway planet, and we don't have throwaway children. It's all precious. And as we all begin to come back to that basic understanding, new opportunities for action begin to emerge. Um, biomimicry which is uh, something that uh, is an emerging science, winds up being a very important social justice idea. For people who are just learning about this stuff, biomimicry means respecting the wisdom of all species. Uh, democracy, by the way, means respecting the wisdom of all people, and we'll get to that. But biomimicry means respecting the wisdom of all species. It turns out, you know, we're pretty clever species. You know, we have this big, you know, cortex or whatever. We're pretty proud of ourselves. But if we want to make something hard, 
You know, we come up, I know, you know, I'm going to make a, a hard substance, I know. I'm going to get, you know, vacuums and furnaces and drag stuff out of the ground and, you know, get things hot and, and you know, poison and pollute. But I got this hard thing, you know. <laughs> I'm so clever. You know, you look behind you and there's destruction all around you. But guess what? You're so clever, but you're not as clever as a clam, right? A clam shell's hard. There's no vacuums. There's no big furnaces. There's no poison. There's no pollution. It turns out uh, that our other species has figured out a long time ago how to create many of the things that we need using biological processes that nature knows how to use well. Well, that insight of biomimicry of our scientists finally realizing that we have as much to learn from other species, I don't mean, you know, taking a mouse and, you know, sticking with stuff. I don't mean learning from that way, <laughs> you know, abusing the little species. I mean actually respecting them, respecting what they've achieved. Uh, that's called biomimicry, and that opens the door to zero waste production, zero pollution production, that we could actually uh, enjoy a high quality of life, a high standard of living without trashing the planet. Well, that idea of biomimicry, respecting the wisdom of all species, combined with the idea of democracy and social justice, respecting the wisdom and the worth of all people, would give us a different society. We would have a different economy. We would have a green society uh, that Dr. King uh, would be proud of. That should be the goal. And the way that we get there is to first of all recognize that the idea of disposability uh, not only hurts uh, uh, the species we've talked about, but it even uh, corrupts our own society. We're so proud to live here uh, in California. You know, we just had this vote and everybody's like, well, not in our state. You know, we, those, I don't know what those other states were doing, but. You know, just so proud. And yeah, I'm, I'm proud too. But uh, California, though we lead the world in some of the green stuff, we also, unfortunately, lead the world in some of the gulag stuff. Huh? California has uh, one of the highest incarceration rates uh, of all the 50 states. So we're, we're, we have a moral challenge in this movement. Uh, we're passionate about uh, rescuing some dead materials uh, from the landfill, but sometimes not as passionate about r rescuing living beings, living people. And I would say that uh, we live in a country, 5% of the world's population, 25% of the greenhouse gases, but also 25% of the world's prisoners. Right? One out of every four people locked up anywhere in the world is locked up right here in the United States. So that is consistent with this idea that uh, disposability is something we believe in. And yet, as a, as a movement that has to broaden its constituency, that has to grow, that has to reach out beyond our, our natural comfort zone. One of the challenges to the success of this movement, of getting rid of things like plastic and, and helping the economy shift, is people look at our movement with some suspicion. And we, they ask a question, and the question is, how can these people be so passionate? A, a poor person, a low-income person, somebody in Cancer Alley, uh, somebody you know, in, in, in Watts, uh, somebody in Harlem, somebody on an Indian reservation might say to themselves, and rightfully so, how can these people be so passionate about making sure that a plastic bottle has a second chance in, in life or an aluminum can has a second chance? And yet, when my child gets in trouble and goes to prison, he doesn't get a second chance. How, how can this movement be so passionate about saying we don't have throwaway stuff, no throwaway dead materials, and yet accept throw away lives and throw away communities like Cancer Alley. And so 
we now get a chance to be truly proud of this movement. Uh, when we take on topics like this, it gives us that extra call uh, to reach out to other movements and to become more inclusive and to grow. And we can finally get out of this crazy dilemma that we've been in. Uh, most of you are good, soft-hearted people. Uh, when you're younger, uh, you cared about the whole world, and at some point somebody said you had to pick, a, pick a, uh, an issue, right? You had to, to boil your love down to an issue. Can't love the whole world. You, know, you got uh, you to you work on trees, or you got to work on immigration. You got to you know, shrink it down and be about one issue. And really, they fundamentally told you, uh, are you going to hug a tree, or are you going to hug a child? Pick. Are you going to hug a tree, or are you going to hug a child? Pick. Well, when you start working on issues like plastic, you realize that the whole thing is connected. And luckily, most of us are blessed to have two arms. We can hug both. Thank you very much. Good morning. Uh, we're gonna, the next song that we're going to do is in Spanish, and so I figured I'd explain it a little bit. Um, it's about, um, it's called Donde Jugarán Los Niños, which means where will the children play? And it's uh, the story of a man kind of retelling the story of his grandfather and how his grandfather would play in um, clean streams and, you know, um, pastures and how all that had gone away. Oh, 